Welcome guys back to another episode of Anchor Down. I have kind of just gone full steam ahead and decided that we're going to be putting these out twice a week whilst we are in this lockdown stage. So right now you're getting them every Tuesday and this additional episode on Friday. Today I'm excited to bring you a conversation with Bradley Hutchings. He is a session guitarist who has toured all around Europe in the past two years. He is also a producer under the name of Guava Producing dance floor music and we also used to be in a band together he was my housemate at university and we played music together for a good three years i'd say so me and bradley have known each other for a long time and it was really great to have a conversation with him and to hear what he's up to and just to talk about everything music music has been a big part of my life for a long time and i try to involve it as much as i can in my videos so it was really exciting to dive back into this world i'm excited to share some old stories with you that we recount from our uni band days and that's kind of where we start this conversation off so without further ado here is episode four with bradley hutchings doing all right i'm doing all right yeah i'm all right fantastic i'm actually quite excited to do this with you because you're the first musician i've had on i've also been out of it for a while so it's interesting to get your perspective on how the world is right now um in the music industry Mm. like things are changing like not necessarily like exactly what's happening right now with all the covid stuff but yeah just like how it's all moved on do you want to give me a quick summary of what you do because you do like a multitude of things in the in the music realm yeah sure so i am a session guitarist primarily but i also produce electronic music and i write music for film and tv i went to university with andy and we both did a popular music course together yeah (laughs) and uh we were both in the, the same band together so we we know each other very well we've done a lot of music and a lot of writing and a lot of uh practices and rehearsals at a place called new river studios oh my in, god uh, cheeksbury no no two rivers <laughs> two rivers two yeah, rivers yeah. studios oh yeah yeah, yeah this yeah, is yeah, probably yeah. the place we should start and we were also housemates and we turned our basement of our apartment in chet well, our house in cheltenham into like it was like a dingy like rundown basement <laughs> and we stuck my drum kit in there and your amps and did we practice yeah. in there much we filmed a music video there, which I think most of it didn't get used because it was so... <laughs> it looked like a dungeon. It was easily the most depressing place I've ever been in my entire life. It was life. not a good... like. I mean, uni houses are notorious for not being great, but this was like on a different level. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. I mean, without naming names, Michael Morris... <laughs> <laughs> our landlord <laughs> well, you might have to edit this out but nah our, it doesn't matter <laughs> our landlord was involved in some very very shady business we we had a he was always well first of all he was running the house or he, he sort of ran it through his wife june yeah and it became apparent that june didn't really know too much about housing and and but everything was in her name and then we wanted to move out of the house and he started stiffing us for loads and loads of little bits and bobs around the house he was like oh that that um the knob on the cooker is broken and it was like a really flimsy knob Mm. and it was i think someone just turned it to turn to make some dinner and he was like yeah that's going to cost like 150 pounds (laughs) out of your deposit and (laughs) and like oh sorry there's stains on the carpet which we 
moved in with and and he was like yeah yeah no sorry that's gonna have to cost another 200 pounds so he was trying to get so much money out of us and we all sort of put up a fight and then i remember you sent me this link and he was like mate i just googled his name and he would been done for set like he'd been in court yeah was he like buying up land like or green, green belt, belt land, land and then like i don't know selling it yeah selling it illegally and <laughs> and yeah if you're listening to this michael shame <laughs> on you that was funny times but uh yeah so we, we we had this like dingy basement that we used to like record um like we recorded a music video and i remember bro do you remember we came back from that band practice at like we we were playing a festival the next day which one was it the, the one in uh the one near where my parents live Oh yeah, that's great. That yeah. Was fun. Um. So we were having practice until like 10 p.m. and then we got back to our like house and then we were recording a music video from like midnight until like 3 a.m. Um, yeah. And then we had to get up at like 9 a.m. to travel in my tiny little Clio that we used to drive around in uh, to play this show. And uh, yeah, it was just like a lot of times like that. It was fun. Um. <laughs> but that house was, yeah. That, that house was messed up. That was pretty messed up. <laughs> Uh, it was it was really interesting now that I look back at it as well because we we had such crazy schedules mm. and I don't really know why it was like oh we've got to go and play a music festival and the moment we get back we have to record a music video and then afterwards we've got to go and record and we actually had all the time in the world we didn't need to do that that is so we true put ourselves under a lot of pressure we really did like I don't know why and that wasn't even when this was before like our second EP came out with um on on the label because i remember they were pushing us to like make that music video um mm. the one in the abandoned house we, we have a thing for like weird dodgy wow. buildings that house as well oh my god yeah so okay <laughs> let, let me set this up um so we we found what was it i don't know like someone came up with the idea for the music video and then they were like oh there's this abandoned house on the way to oxfordshire um and it was all run down and they're like oh it'd be a great place to film a music video and it was the first time we had like a big team do you remember scott norris and all their like team yeah. with the video cameras dom. yeah and dom, dom. this was yeah. before i was even into film so i don't even know what cameras they were using but they had like tracks and rails and it was like the middle of january and we had to carry all our equipment and their camera gear so like drums amps all this across the field into yeah. this like deserted house that had been there for years and did we have yeah. to like carry it onto the second floor because there was no staircase yeah yeah i did we did well there was no staircase and we had to get up this like collapsed roof yeah that was crazy so crazy no one would ever like i wouldn't do that if you paid me the like now that was completely mad but it was it was crazy wasn't it and we um and then we stood around for hours i think this is the same on most like shoots like this started snowing started snowing they recorded everything with ollie the singer they were just doing like the storyline stuff and we were just kind of stood around waiting before we had to play in this Mm. like one room that we did at the end of the day um yeah that was oh (laughs) that was interesting (laughs) but you're right we we did put ourselves under so much pressure we we did an alright amount of stuff for like uh being like uni students like our fir- in our first 
year or the first term of uni we recorded yeah. our own ep ourselves in the university studio and put it out and managed to get on local bbc like performing that yeah we did a live session we did and i do remember the second and third years were pissed off because like we got picked but we took yeah. the initiative to do it all ourselves, um yeah. and we were just super proactive about it we didn't know at the time as well that most bands or maybe we did but we didn't quite understand that most bands have like a proper manager and they have like somebody who mixes the music and masters Mm -hmm. mastered it professionally and that that when a label gets involved that they put all of these things up to make it sound as good as possible and whenever i compare like our recordings which are essentially what people consider to be demos versus like current bands i know with tons of traction and money and management I'm like, damn, we did a really good job. We did every we did every aspect possible of this. We did the merch. You were you were on the merch, yeah. man. Like <laughs> designing the merch. We had the album covers, uh, album art done. And yeah, I think obviously you're not gonna be no one's gonna be great at every aspect of it, but we've tried our best and I think that was super great and set us up really well for the future. Yeah, we did. We did like cover a lot of those aspects. So you were really fascinated in like recording and like so you mm. did a whole bulk of like how we recorded those tracks and like you looked up all the different techniques of how we were gonna mic a drum kit. What's the one that we did where you have a mic at the top and a <laughs> mic to the side? it's so funny you say this because i the last time i mic'd up a drum kit was a few months ago it was with my friend joe taylor and i was like check this out and he was like dude what is this and i'm like it's the glenn's john's technique (laughs) and he was like what the hell is that and then he went into a studio like a few weeks later and the engineer was like i think we're going to use the glenn john's technique and he was like oh shit brad wasn't like taking the piss it's a real thing yeah so like you really went into that and we were like, I mean, we like the rest of us like had not done a lot of recordings. So we're like, okay, yeah, go for it. And it came out sounding great for what we did. And you, mi- I remember you mixed and mastered it in like a weekend before we like played that show in Prague. And, um, yes. and yeah. then you, you and your dad did a lot of um, the music videos because your dad um, is a photographer in London. And like you came yeah. up with that really cool idea of just like putting the ink in like, was it a fish? What was it? That was a it great was a fish music tank. video. He, 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 he used oil-based ink, mm-hmm. uh, different colors, and he dropped it in water with a black background and he side lit it. Oh. And he filmed it all on his iPhone yes. and he slow-mo filmed it. And it came out looking really, really cool. I think one of the reasons is because he had such powerful lights. He's a photographer, so he's had it in his studio. And we did that music video and it was very simple, just ink dropping into water. And then it reverses at the end when the guitar solo comes in. But do you remember how many copycats there were afterwards <laughs> there was a lot um yeah i remember we spoke about this maybe like a year ago and i remember like yeah there was like at least two or three other local bands that did some similar format to that i really like this because this was like t- 2013 um we were what 21 maybe um, I think it was 20 was it 2012 maybe 20 yeah no yeah it was 2012 2012 okay so we were like yeah like 19 20 21 I don't really know yeah maybe 19 19 19, 19, 19 yeah and um all these just bits came together I remember that video you were just like oh I'm my dad's gonna shoot this thing for us on his iPhone and it was great and then we like used it as like our backdrop on tour um 
so yeah, we just, we found all these different aspects of what we were into and we kind of did a lot of it ourselves for like at least the first year. And mm. yeah, it was fun. I mean, there's probably stuff that you look back on now and be like, oh, you would do this differently or um yeah, or whatnot yeah, but i think that's why we had <laughs> i mean the success in cheltenham <laughs> like it's a small it's a small <laughs> university town but i mean we were very proactive with just doing things there were always those other bands in cheltenham which had a bit more it's so strange thinking about cheltenham as well because i live in hackney well you live in hackney yeah. as well we live around the corner from each other and we both went to uni in this small town where there was such a small town mentality and there were a few bands who were like touring so there was one called young kato oh yeah whose biggest <laughs> whose biggest thing was that they played on made in chelsea and i think it was because one of their dads was the producer for it and there was also jim Lockie and the solemn son who uh played a lot with frank turner they were like frank turner support act mm-hmm. and that was a really big they were they were, they were sort of the Cheltenham. two big bands yeah. and we came as the outsiders so maybe we were the third biggest band in Cheltenham (laughs) maybe like our second or third year yeah because there was like venues and so for people who don't know like I imagine a lot of people have not been to Cheltenham it's just like a small English town known for the is it like the horse races the horse races the jazz festival festival. and the science festival the literature Literature festival yeah so it's like in the Cotswolds um it's maybe like 45 minutes from Bristol, which is a big, mu- has a big music scene. Uh, but yeah. Ch- so Cheltenham is very small. I always saw Cheltenham as a bubble. I picture it like, you know, in that Simpsons movie when they have a bubble around the town. Like yeah. that's how I feel how like Cheltenham was. And then when I used to leave, it was just like, oh, I'm in the outside world. So yeah, we used to like sell out the venues there. Two pigs. Two we pigs. Sold out two we pigs. did. 300 cap and frog and fiddle. We played that. Quite yeah. Well. And they were fun. So like we, we definitely allowed our own there. But yeah, being a musician in a band, you need to be a lot bigger than just just that town. But yeah. I do feel like those things, I guess they probably set us both up for um life after uni i definitely found mm. more of the experiences we had with what we initiated ourselves um was a lot more of a learning experience than maybe actually university itself yeah would you agree yeah yeah i would agree yeah i've i, I was probably the one at university who was the most cynical mm-hmm. be- about the whole system because i i went there and for whatever reason, I, I may, maybe it's just being young and very naive, but I thought that I was going to go there and everybody was going to be as enthusiastic and passionate about music as I was. And whilst I would say that you, Ollie and Steve and maybe one or two other people were really into media because I would say that like not everybody was super super into like maybe the music that I'm sort of into now but the majority of people we know didn't go on to do music or didn't really do music in their spare time it was quite it was quite a bizarre experience so I was really I was really disappointed and I was trying to I mean you probably remember I was just like so annoyed all the time Mm -hmm. and was trying to get out of that situation and then when i tried to transfer um the university was like oh actually sorry there are these technicalities i probably should have just left and tried some somewhere else but yeah yeah looking back at it now of hindsight um 
I definitely feel you in particular were ahead of the curb and you could see where you wanted to be and what you wanted to do and how you were kind of being held back by that system. Whereas like, I don't know, it could have been seen by other people as just like, oh, like a young angsty kid, a bit like fed up of like this system. Mm. But I was actually on a recent podcast I did with my friend Will. So he's a uh, visual effects um, freelance filmmaker and um mm. And he was talking about how he went to film school for cinematography. So it was a very traditional and he he pretty much said very similar stuff to you. He noticed that he was being taught by these lecturers who had kind of done it in a very traditional way. And his fellow classmates were kind of into it, but would only work on their uni projects. Whereas he was making a YouTube video every single week. And he's like statistically i'm making a video a week and these people are making one video per term for their project Mm. so i'm learning way more stuff by myself and statistically if i'm like learning all these programs and i'm getting better at visual effects i'm going to be more likely to do well and succeed and get jobs than everybody else because they're just learning what they're told in class and that's about it um yeah so i think he has a very similar mindset and i that's definitely yeah there's definitely a big argument there for university in the creative field like obviously there's certain fields that you need it for that make a lot more yeah, sense yeah yeah definitely want that doctor to have a, a degree for sure you know <laughs> what was it like for you so after uni i transitioned out of music and eventually found film but what it was it like for you after uni what did you do um to make that transition to becoming like a musician and a composer and a producer now in london yeah, I mean, so in terms of me doing music and uh, being a guitar player and uh, being a composer and electronic producer, there wasn't any transitioning to do uh, in terms of like my own personal um, development. development. Yeah, well, obviously I got better in all areas for sure. But in terms of like my desire had always been there, my desire. And I was doing music for film at uni. That would be probably one of the best things actually that our uni gave us was that there was a music for film module course with a guy called Simon Turner who had won a BAFTA for writing some music for a TV series, I seem to remember. And um, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't like the best, but it did actually give me quite a good grounding in writing music for film. And I did a little bit of that. I came out of uni and then I had that void afterwards where I was like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to make money? And I did think about retraining in certain fields because it seemed pretty impossible. I didn't know anybody who was doing the stuff that I wanted to do. And I didn't know anybody who was uh, being successful at music. I knew a few people who were like doing music, but uh, they were doing other things. And it was quite frustrating. But I met a guy, a composer, who I'll who kind of be nameless because it, it didn't kind of work out, unfortunately. But he did give me the opportunity to write for a Netflix series. So I showed him the stuff that I'd done at uni. And I was like, this is what I do. I'm a guitar player. And he was like, well, I really need a guitarist because I don't actually play guitar and I need somebody to be able to write on the fly and compose. Mm -hmm. So 
I started writing for this series called The Same Sky, which got put out on Netflix ZDF. It was great for me because it was, hey, we need a track to sound like David Bowie or we need it to sound like, uh, you know, Can from like 1970s German Krautrock. And I was able to just get involved in all of that world. And I was working and yeah, I did more work then than I had ever done in my entire life. And I just... Yeah, I bet. Especially on like a level of like a big series like that. How how long were you doing that for? Like from start to finish? So from start to finish, I think it was a six month period. Mm-hmm. However, it took me a year, uh, two years to get fully paid and credited. Oh, and yeah. That was such a tough lesson to learn. It was so difficult because, unfortunately, the guy who I'd met was it was a friend of a, my parents' friends as well. So it was kind of like uh, there was a degree of trust mm-hmm. in there. And and unfortunately, you know, I went into it a little bit green thinking, oh, OK, this is going to be great because it's obviously someone who the family knows. It's somebody is somebody who is trustworthy, seems like a nice person. And man, I, unfortunately, I did get taken for a ride and... Yeah, what I can say to anybody who is going into music for film is get a membership with the Musicians Union 100% because any questions that you have to be asked will be answered. So that's sort of what happened in that area. Yeah. Yeah, like, although, like, it was a bit of a headache, right, and, like, a process and a roller coaster, those experiences, though, are really mm. good. I've definitely had a lot of processes in the last six months that I've learned about, like, pre-production on, like, big projects, and some of them were really tough. I hated that process, but I'm actually really glad that I went through it because I learned so many valuable skills from that that I'm like, okay, yeah. I know what to look out for next time. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, it, it's... It is one of those hindsight things. I do feel that with with the situation with that TV series, I could have done with a little bit of a, you know, just a little bit more uh, uh, transparency up front. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I, I learned. Yeah. I learned very much the hard way. And you know to ask um, those questions next time, right? Oh my goodness, yeah. And it's, and actually people take you more seriously whenever you ask the questions. They either take you more seriously or they don't, your time doesn't get wasted you know yeah at all that's true um and i did end up doing a lot of stuff afterwards as well on my own um so that was incredibly beneficial and i learned a hell of a lot about music film production one of the best things that i learned was that you don't need to be classically trained at all to write music for an orchestra i mean i was writing all of this music and then we were looking at all of the incredible composers and there were people like jeff barrows who's uh in porter's head yep. and I met Jeff. Uh, I met Jeff when I was, um, I don't know what it was called. I did, um, I worked on BBC Introducing. Yeah. The first session I went in, I, I was the guy who basically jotted down all the tracks and catalogued it all so that the yeah. songs could get paid. Jeff Barrow was the first guy that came in for an interview and he was so lovely. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. I mean, look, he's been a huge inspiration. And another person is Leo Abrahams, although he is classically trained. He's He's a guitar player. And he wrote a lot of music with Brian Eno and did some stuff with, for some some films as well. And um, yeah, there were all these guitar players who I was starting to see were composers and also having conversations where it was like, you don't need to know any of this 
Basically, you need to have quite a good understanding of logic, and that's what I already had. Yeah. The program logic, the the music software, not not actual, <laughs> not actual logic in itself, but it does help to get through it. So yeah, it was good, and I I did learn a lot. So uh, yeah, I sort of went on, and then afterwards, yep, I uh, <laughs> afterwards I just went and um, had a bit of a after that whole film situation. I was like, oh, for heaven's sake, I want to. I want to do music, but actually I think I need a break. For the first time in my life, I, was, I just said, I'm going to work in a cafe. I'm going to give up music temporarily and just see what happens if I do absolutely nothing. And I worked for about seven months in a cafe in my hometown. And I saved up some money and I started to do the things that I sort of normal people did. I got some tickets for a music festival and went with my friends. I decided to go traveling at Vietnam on my own and that was great uh, and and in that process I'm I just met uh Malena Zavala who oh, also course, happened yeah. to work at the same cafe she 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 joined and we were both pretty pissed off that we were working in a cafe together and then after like maybe two weeks or something she was like yeah I make music and I was like oh okay cool and then we just started talking and she was like, oh, I'll send you some of my music and sort of a rule for anybody from my my area. If they say, oh, I'm going to send you some of my music, it generally means it's going to be terrible. Sure. <laughs> and she sent it to me and it's to this day, it was like the most insane thing to hear, like somebody from my area had made. It was incredible songwriting incredible production really amazing guitar playing and she'd done it all herself and then a few weeks later she said my guitarist has dropped out will you will you play guitar and we started playing guitar and i went from there i i, I had some money i decided to move out moved to hackney yeah and uh yeah it all just slowly but surely kicked off and uh we we've, we've done tours uh european tours and we played ham uh where is it um the roundhouse together and this led on to more session work so i played uh hammersmith apollo with another band and uh did a lot of i've done more touring than uh than ever in the last two years yeah and before we get into that that break you said that you took did you um feel like you needed that space from music to kind of not like like rekindle like the love for it but just to like ha maybe have some perspective yeah absolutely i think the thing it proved to me for the first time in my entire life is that music is in itself uh its own entity and you can stop doing music and it will always be there no matter what yes and i was a bit scared of giving up the dream dude and like come on you've 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 you sold out man you're gonna work for a cafe in Berkhamsted <laughs> <laughs> but I was really like oh no like, I don't want to do that because all I want to do is music and actually that whole thing was me being so committed to it was actually holding me back and it taught me to chill out a bit and do what everybody else does, man. Like, it's it's yeah. absolutely fine. Like, for years, I was just like, I'm just going to be a musician. This is all I want to do. And then when I found making videos and stories on Snapchat, I was like, mm. oh, I found something that I love as much as music. And now my relationship to music has changed so much. But it is still, it's such an important part of, like, 
videos I make. Last night, I had my uh, Spotify on shuffle and just a bunch of old songs came up, like a bunch of Strokes tracks that I hadn't heard in years. <laughs> this sounds so simple, but I was just like, music is so amazing. There is so much incredible music that I just haven't listened to in years and I can just put it on and it takes me back to a time or a place or a memory and then I was listening to a bunch of talking heads and it just reminded me a lot of like uni days and stuff just like all these little emotions that come out from like a piece of music that I, I, I feel you don't get with anything else yeah we went for a big police phase as well we had a big police phase oh yeah still great yes actually you know what I don't know if I can say this I, I sometimes jam with Stuart Copeland's son with his son yeah yeah yeah, yeah. what does his son what his son plays no, drums bass. he plays bass yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Actually, that's one of the beautiful things about coming to London uh, and living in Hackney is that uh, everybody everybody lives here. lives here. But also, you being being an outsider is maybe great for being determined and driven. If you're if you're interested in music, and me being an outsider, I was like so so ready to get stuck in you know i went on that journey to vietnam and i did it for two months and i i the realization i came to and i, I wasn't really trying to s find myself there i just wanted to go on holiday but the real realization i came to was that the thing that made me happy more than ever was music and i always knew that but it almost was like confirmation so i was like i've got to move to london and then when i moved i would meet people who i would get a bit starstruck by you know, it would be mm -hmm. people who I had just read about or I'd researched about a uni or, I, you know, a DJ, a producer, a guitar player. Yeah. And they're just normal people. <laughs> they're all just everybody's just the same. And it's everybody like, you know, somebody knows someone and it's not it's not a big deal. But I think before. Well, I mean, you remember in Cheltenham. Somebody had somebody had been on tour with, uh, with Frank Turner, and it was like you know royalty was down the road. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's true, and it's it's really odd. And like <laughs> uh, Mike Smith, yeah, yeah, we yeah, had yeah. as w one of our lecturers is he toured. Um, was it with Gorillas and Ambler? PJ Harvey as well? And and PJ Harvey, and he was going from like playing Madison Square Garden on the weekend to Monday teaching us yeah. in the class. And like, but you're at that age where like near yeah, 19, 20, where like these people are like very inspirational to you. Um, like, like you said, we used to just listen to all these records yeah. or like follow, watch all these people. And I guess it was similar when I like, we both live in London because may, I guess primarily like the opportunities yeah. are here. Um, that's how I found with New York. And when I was in New York and the States in my field, I ran into a lot of creatives that I looked up to or I followed or I appreciated. And I got to know a lot of them and became friends with them. And they're just the same as you or people are, are then asking you a question yeah. or like, and it's just like, it's, it's very, once you kind of get past that and you're just like, oh yeah, everybody, they're, they're, they're just, they're just humans, like all trying to do their own thing, yeah. you know? And like, and I guess like Hackney, especially like, I mean, I kind of like stumbled into Hackney, but realized that like, this is where a lot of creatives and musicians tend to like be and you just it's it's all about connections and mm, meeting people yeah. um and just actually you'll just like stumble into other people i think yeah i think so i i also think it's about um so 
it's really nice when it these connections all happen naturally as well and and that is sort of the beauty of living in a place like Hackney because I was for a while living at my parents and I really felt the need to network and be like get connections and like you know in a slightly more uh Hollywood way potentially I'm not sure this is what I've heard I've never been myself and that's I probably will never go now but um there there was definitely a mentality of hard networking and really from me coming to London the way that I feel about it is actually you should be immersed in a scene and that is what it is about and the network sort of takes care of itself at the end of the day if you're a social person and you want to hang out with people then that is good enough you know obviously if you care about your career also remember at at the top of it don't um don't settle for less and you know if it's a friday night and your mates are asking you out to go to to go out for drinks and you've got work to do with regards to music obviously you've got to do the music but at the same time if it's friday night and it's part of your scene and you're and it's you know uh, a special night where your pl- friends are playing music and you care about it and you rate them then you should definitely go and then and it's just so great it's very win-win it's it's super lovely i agree i think that's the best way of putting it right it's not like a traditional i mean i hate those like networking terms like in let's say in a traditional businessy sense people are like oh um you have to network with x y and z to get somewhere and that seems very like when you're in those rooms like it seems very forced it seems like people are only talking to you for a specific yes, reason yes. because they're wanting something out of that and also i'm i just hate those scenarios um or like someone like oh like let's business <laughs> I'm like i i to be honest i've never really been in many of those situations but i don't like them and i feel like i'm quite an introvert in a way that i like hate going up to people like that and and starting yeah. some sort of yeah it, it's just not my thing but i think what you said is like is exactly right it's immersing yourself in that scene or that culture and just because you absolutely love it and it's what you do and you will just naturally meet people and and that's just like a byproduct of being in that world rather than it being like i need to go out and connect with these people and build this to get to this position because that it just doesn't and i I understand the impetus as well like i completely completely understand when i first came out of university I was going out with someone and I was reading books on how to move forward in your career. And, you know, retrospectively, they were really good books to read uh, because there's a, there's a book called Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. And it talks about the importance of networks and how it works. And I think considering I hadn't had that experience at university, it was a good transition period for me to actually, you know, from me going from a quite a sort of sterile music scene to actually getting involved in the London world so it was good but it was doing my girlfriend's head in she was like oh my god like stop talking about networking stop like you know it seems really disingenuous and if I were to compare myself then to how I was before it was actually a good step forward but it was also a little bit probably painful to experience and witness and I certainly learnt a few things which I probably would not do now. And, you know, I mean, side note, 
I decided to get some business cards printed and uh, got 150, no, 200 printed. And I misspelt my name. (laughs) (laughs) It was Bradley Huck things (laughs) instead of Hutchings. How did you? (laughs) I mean, I am quite dyslexic, as you know, but my mates were just like, I've got, I've got, I've got all these business cards and to this day people are like, please can I have a Huck Things business card? <laughs> it's like it's brilliant. <laughs> That's yeah. hilarious. Um, what I've definitely found in the last few years, I was very similar. Coming out of uni, I was reading a lot of these books. But also what I think I've learned, yeah, like I was saying in the last few years, I feel like I can now take on those approaches or read those things and then i feel like i can then look at myself and be like okay what here actually applies to me or like what here do i think wouldn't work or would work yes. in my scenario rather than taking everything as like law yeah you know? absolutely yeah you don't want to uh you definitely don't want to paint by numbers when it comes to all of this stuff and you know i it all comes down to at the end of the day both you and i super passionate about what we do and we really just want to be able to do it for the rest of our lives and that's where the whole thing comes from that's why we're reading books on it and we recognize the importance Mm -hmm. of people in the equation and that's the only reason we actually want to (laughs) why i would be happy to even print business cards before i'd be like yuck now i you know i learned also that we live in the 21st century just get somebody's number or you might bump uh-huh. into them again, so there's no problem. And <laughs> and um, you'll naturally just find other people who want to do the exact same thing as you. When I was doing Snapchat and like, because it was such a like obscure thing, but when I would meet up with like other Snapchatters, it'd be so funny because we'd all have these same thoughts or like little problems or like we would work in the same way. And I was like, I've never met anybody else <laughs> like this. And you could just go on for yeah. hours and um, yeah. And you just naturally build out a friendship with these people. And it's, it's all built on that. Mm. When you break it down, it is just down to like people are also people, the brands you want to work with behind that, they're people, these like bands you want to play in or you look up to yeah. they're people. It's all just that. So, after you moved mm-hmm. to Hackney, you started mm-hmm. touring Milena. You were playing these big venues. You were getting to tour Europe yep. a lot. How was that? How was it? It's, I mean, the best experience of my life, hands down. Whenever somebody asks me about it, um, I'll be like, yeah, it's such an honor and such a privilege. And the gigs to this day are the best gigs I've ever played at the most excited and adoring people. And they're not fans ever like they're always just people you want to hang out with afterwards they're always just amazing i've never met anyone at one of our gigs who i was like oh i don't want to speak to you they're always so nice and um we did these shows and we we, we've we've done hundreds now so we yeah we, we got these amazing experiences playing and then i also got hit up by another management company to play with a with an artist called lion and that was really cool we supported nathaniel rateliff on tour and we played hammersmith apollo and barrowlands in glasgow and that was wicked because again we were hanging out with nathaniel's band backstage after shows so a few months down the line my friends supported the flaming lips at brixton academy who are my all-time favorite band probably and I was backstage 
with the flaming lips and it was just like how it was on all the other tours it was just completely normal and completely fine i wasn't starstruck and you know wayne was running past me going like sorry guys gotta get to the stage and steven the guitar player was i gotta go outside and call my wife and and kids you know and i was like damn you guys are really just we're all the same in this we're all in the same boat which is really nice (laughs) it's very comforting that's very cool I, I still say to this day, I don't think there's anything better <clears throat> than playing to like a live audience on stage. There's no feeling like yes. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we did one gig, which uh, I think to this day is the worst gig of my life, which was the um, the, foot, the the clubhouse at Redditch Football Ground. Oh, the one yeah. we did. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did some yeah, great gigs together don't i i, I i'm not gonna lie but that one for me was the lowest point in my musical career <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was pretty bad yeah that there's a lots of highs and lots of lows but when you have like yeah when you when you come off stage and you've performed and it's it goes well like nothing beats that feeling it doesn't beat it um, no it really doesn't we did a show we did green man festival uh last year and I remember playing to the audience and there was about two and a half thousand people who were out in the rain coming to watch mm. us. And every after every song, they were given big cheers. And I was there just like, God damn it, guys, you're all the best. You know, <laughs> you're I can't believe yeah. that people like this exist, but they do. And I'm so grateful for it. And it really does make you feel, you know, brilliant about the choices that because honestly, I have had so many moments uh, as a musician and I, it's completely natural. But there's so many moments where I'm like, why would anyone do this? Why would anyone put themselves through this? This is such an insane job. Uh, if I knew at the start how hard it was going to be, I would probably not have done it because it's there's so many things. But I also kind of can't do anything else. And it's what I love. But it's it's yeah. really difficult, man. I mean, it is so hard. And often a lot of my friends who have other jobs who hear a little bit about my life or other people I know's lives who are musicians, they're like often very surprised that we don't do tons and tons of drugs. <laughs> they're like, oh, I thought it would be more <laughs> crazy than that. And they're also really surprised at how people have like a very nine to five attitude to it all and they're like i wake up early in the morning i practice my instrument for like five hours in the daytime or i i'm constantly writing or yeah like we're working hard yeah because yeah well i think a lot of people do also just see it is like oh you're in a band you get to go on tour you play these amazing shows to all these fans and you do that every night yeah. and it's great um but there's way more to it and in reality, like if you're just a touring musician in a band who signed mm. to a label, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, unless you're at like a massive level, it's not a very lucrative uh, no. job. Like you said, you're wearing multiple hats, you're doing multiple things. There, there's more to it than just uh, th- than you just see as like a spectator. Absolutely. I mean, so I before coming to London, I was a barista and I learned how to do that. Then I came to London. I did more work in a cafe. Afterwards, I got a job, a part-time job as a chess teacher, teaching chess at schools. (laughs) So I was doing that for a while. And I also worked crazy jobs in restaurants where you would go in for like a few shifts, but you would wash dishes for about 
five hours straight in places in Mayfair where you're getting paid minimum wage and people were paying like, you know, 80 quid a head um, upstairs. And um, yeah, it was pretty, it was a pretty interesting side. uh, And it's pretty like, it's pretty hardcore. I got a job recently working in a record shop uh which was coincidentally right opposite where you lived yeah you could literally see uh my bedroom window yeah from the shop. yeah yeah but that was my other part-time job you know working on the on the outside of it all so part-time jobs are super super necessary and actually um, me and a few guys on the record label i'm on holding hands we've got a podcast in the first ever episode we talk about part-time jobs and how important they are in order to you get get by as a musician even if you're like signed to like these big labels um a lot of the time you are working like a part-time job on the side when you're not on tour or when you're not in the studio i know people who got very early success and some of them did the part-time job direction and it's it's and they have kind of been able to maintain their work and their workflow because they've worked very hard in something which they didn't really enjoy and i'm not saying that like suffering leads to ultimately like being able to overcome and be but you do i did gain a lot and my work ethic certainly just went up to a whole new level when i was doing something that i didn't really enjoy and i was like i know that i have the ability to do this thing so i'm going to just work really really hard at it and really try and not give up because I knew people who actually did have a lot of early success and as soon as things dry up and go wrong it's really hard to come back from it so they are now in not so good situations which really sucks you know and I think that might come down to the fact that if you have a lot of success early on sometimes that people can't be as proactive and can't recognize the sort of privilege that they've got in the first place on the other side of it you now are a producer right you're you got your own project yes how is that how is that yeah it's good man i love it um so okay to put it it um so i'm a guitar player i've always played guitar from the age of 12 that's all what i've wanted to do and i sort of fell into music for film accidentally more or less i never wanted to do it uh specifically but there were so many guitar players who I loved and actually writing to a picture became incredibly fulfilling. So that's how that all came about. But then midway through university with my guitar, I, I was having this problem where I was actually starting to listen to electronic music way more. And there was something really emotional about it and something something that I couldn't quite put my finger on. And I I got very interested in creating this music. And also all of the electronic music software like Logic, Ableton, Reason, and even Pro Tools, they all sort of seem to head towards this electronic music sound. And it started to slowly but surely uh, build momentum and my, my, sort of interest started to turn into a real obsession and passion and love so i was listening to think people like uh caribou and that's a guy who wrote all of his music on the computer but then he played it live with a band so i was really into those sort of people who was like there's a live element there's a there's there's real sort of like special touring side to it like james blake for example 
I was like, whoa, you can go see this guy at a festival, but it sounds completely different to a guitar band. And then a friend of mine from school called Liam Wax had this live project called Desert Sound Colony. And he was doing these tours around the US with a tour bus and he was supporting Bob Moses. I was like, oh my God, that is what I want to be doing. It's the electronic music, but he's also playing it live and yeah it seemed totally it seemed to totally make sense that's where I went with it so I started producing music with my friend Steve Rowe who you who you know yes who we went to uni with amazing um producer and yep, photographer amazing and he's just actually got a job as a software engineer in South Korea Seoul which is uh big ups to Steve for doing that that man can do. He a can lot do a lot of things. things. He's a very clever and determined guy. I should get you should him. On definitely here. get him on there. That would he's be really a good, good. He's yeah. a good chat as well. He's a good laugh. Um, but anyway, so we started producing. He was great to work with. He was really positive and really easygoing. And then when I moved out and I moved to London, I hit Liam up and I was like, "Dude, can I ask you a few questions about music?" And it sort of just started to snowball from there, where. Liam was definitely super well-versed in electronic music, but he also really loved people like... He, he got me into Mac DeMarco. I mean, what more can you say? Mm. That's that's such a good <laughs> thing for someone to get you into. He showed me the Lacey Brothers. He showed me uh, uh, Andras Fox. And then it slowly but surely happened where he was like, okay, right, we're doing, we're, we were doing some writing for this live project that he had, the Live Desert Sound Colony. And then he was like, do you want to do some more dance music, dance floor stuff? So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kept on going where it went more and more dance floor, more and more club oriented. I started going to raves, to proper raves. I started having these uh, big musical awakening experiences. And my girlfriend at the time as well, she was really into all of this electronic music. We had this chat one day where we were getting some guava juice and i saw the guava and i was like is anyone called guava maybe that, that that's it that should that's be my name. producer name <laughs> it's delicious yeah. and then so you've put out have you only put out one or two eps i put now? out i have yeah the first i put one. out one solo ep on control freak records which came out in december yeah but before then i put out quite a few collaborations and singles if we can quickly, I'd love to know sort of what your creative process is. What are you using to record them? Are you still, are you using your guitar mm. at all to loop it into these like programs? Yeah, so um, I don't use my guitar too often, but it is coming. The whole point was actually for it to be guitar focused and for me to be able to put the guitar in there. But guitar is very mid focused and electronic music in for clubs is actually very bass and top heavy focused it's yep. really hard to actually make a guitar sound good um on a dance floor track but i've got logic and i've got a few little cheeky plugins which are special uh sound toys and i use a little plugin called soothe which is do you remember when we had to do the whole editing eq editing Yes, the notch filtering and the high pass filters and all of that stuff. Well, Soothe basically just does it automatically. It uses AI. 
I wish I had yeah. that back then. <laughs> I really didn't love those production classes. It just wasn't my thing, and I found it so hard to yeah. concentrate. That yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got we've I, I use that. I use um, Steve just gave me all of his native instruments plugins, which was super lovely of him. Nice. So I've got all the native instrument stuff, and yeah. So I sit down, and my process is I listen to. I decide where I want to go with my music. I'm very like, have to be incredibly clear about what it is that I'm trying to achieve. Make sure that I'm very clear about speed, BPM. Make sure I'm very clear about harmony and rhythm. Don't kind of mess around with it too much. Just go like, I'm making this like 90s breaks, electro UK bass infused music. That's kind of what I've boiled my music down to be. I listen to 10 tracks, which by artists I really respect and love. And then I use those tracks and I sort of take the ideas and build and develop from those ideas. And that's how I, that's sort of how I get going. And then how I finish it often is every time I close the project, I do a little bounce or I record it. And then I come back and I write a little list of the things I need to change. And I do that, you know, it could be, I could probably be, you know, anything from three to 12 different versions of a track. And normally by then I've got something finished. I think that's a great place to end this, man. There you go. I think that's awesome. Um, if people want to check out what you're doing with Guava and all the other bands, where is the best place to do that? I'll put it all in the show notes cool. below. So if you want to check out Guava uh, or me in general, you can find me on Instagram, uh, which is Bradley underscore Hutchings. And also, I've got a website, bradleyhutchings.com, where you can find all of the things that I've worked on. Um, I also want to shout out to Milena Zavala, who has just released her new album, La Jalala, which I played to get solo on the single. Uh, But it's really an incredible piece of work. Nice. Yeah, we'll put all that below. So like, if you guys want to check out any of that, uh, feel free to just go down the bottom there and click it. Um, dude, this has been so fun. Yeah, man. Thanks. Nice chatting with you. I'm so glad we could do this. Yeah, you too, man. Once again, thank you so much for sticking around to the end of this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Bradley. If you do want to check out what he's doing with Guava or his personal accounts, like I mentioned before, they're all linked in the show notes below. And if you're on iTunes, it would be great if you could give this podcast five stars and comment. That always helps. But most importantly, just just to share this with a friend. If you think there's someone else you know out there who would enjoy this, um, please do share it with them. That is the best and easiest way for us to grow this podcast and i'm just so excited about the rest of the guests we have coming up so thank you again for listening i hope you're staying well staying safe and i will catch you in the next one